Okay, so on your sheet, um, kind of broken out a few categories of how, of, of how I want to break out my talk here this morning. Um, the first one is, what if you got what you want? What if you got what you want? Um, and this is just sort of the title I'm putting on my, what I'm going to give you a little seven-minute history of my work life, but you'll see it's sort of my life just in general. Um, and then uh, we'll go on to just talk about how the gospel provides a new mission, a new metric, a new motivation for all of life and work, <laughs> as I was saying earlier. So about me. So my name's Jeff Stevens. Um, I grew up in Fairfield, uh, Connecticut, right down the road. Um, when it came time for college, I wanted to play ice hockey. It was basically my driving passion, um, among a few other things. But So I went to Gordon because they had a terrible ice hockey team, and I knew that I could probably play a little, which I did. Um, I was a psychology major because I was very interested in the way people think, and I thought that a psychology major was going to help me delve into that, which it did not. Um, I met um, Bruce Herman at Gordon College. He was my main art professor, great man, still active artist, um, very thoughtful man. And he sort of took me and actually pushed me into a local art school up by Gordon. He said, you need to go to art school. I'm like, well, I can't. I'm here. And he said, well, go to this one for now. And from there, I ended up going all the way down to Savannah to SCAD, which is a terrible name for a school that presents things for a living. Like, that's what they do. And their name is SCAD. Um, So I went to SCAD, and I studied graphic design at SCAD, which, when I was there, was a very broad discipline. So graphic design was everything from designing magazines and book covers and billboards and advertising, and there really was no internet that controlled all of our lives or apps or like this was pre, this was a better world, frankly, than the one we live in, um, especially from a designer's point of view. So I studied design, and um, I, so the culture at design school, if you don't know, especially in the commercial side of things, so, and let me say that real quick, graphic designers work for other people, they are not artists, in the sense of I'm a fine artist and I'm making beautiful objects that are for their own sake. And believe me, I love that. I just can't do it. Um, So I'm a graphic designer and I work for other people. And part of the training is um, you do very shoddy, student-y kind of work and put it up on the wall. And then about 40 people walk up to it and tell tell you why it's terrible. These are called critiques. And your peers who don't know anything critique you. And then your professors, who know some things, critique you. And so there's just, a, there's just the culture of critique. And a handful of people come out of commercial design school with portfolios that either sort of survive or they don't, right? So I um, went and applied for an internship. Forty other people applied for an inter- this internship. And I won. And so it's like, wow, okay, I love this. 
And I won this internship. It was great. It turned into a full-time job. My first full-time job was Scuba Diving Magazine. Mm. It's a Rodel Press magazine. It was a national magazine. It was a great opportunity. Um, so I laid out covers and articles. I went to Aruba and Bonaire, and they, they certified me to dive. And by the way, I, I didn't really care about diving. I just, I'm a graphic designer. I take other people's ideas, and I try to make them look awesome. So I'm living the dream, and I didn't even know it. And, um, of course, I'd met Mona uh, uh, at school. We were married. Um, and I ended up at a advertising agency graphic design studio hybrid, which is something you'd only find in a city, a small city like Savannah. So we did um, branding work. We did advertising. We did everything in between. So if you're not familiar with um, the term branding, well, branding is, is where you take an organization, uh, a business, or even an individual, and you, you dress them in a certain kind of clothes, and then you put them out into the marketplace, and you say, hello, I'm the bank, and I'd like to introduce myself, and these are my colors, and this is my logo, and this is the way I talk, and um, that's branding. Um, and that's, that's sort of the sweet spot of how um, professionally how I'm wired. I, that's where I'm most comfortable is in branding. We also did a lot of advertising, which is where the creative, uh, uh, creative arts get kind of a bad name, right? Because they, they cultivate desire for things that people don't need. And yes, they do do that, and they do it on purpose, and they talk about it, and, they're like, and I was a part of that. And yes, it is disgusting. Um, so I'm cruising along, and um, <clears throat> this is sort of mimics um, the talk last week. So I'm just doing what I love to do and enjoying it, and all of a sudden I'm winning awards. Um, I'm winning, we're winning awards, but I'm winning individual awards, like the Art Director of the Year Award in Savannah, Georgia, by the way. So don't get too excited. But still, it's like, you're the best we have going in this city, right? So that happened one year. Then that happened the next year. So that's two years in a row. And my head is beginning to swell. Um, our clients, so we had the biggest bank in town, the biggest architecture firm in town, the, the, the art museum, the, the power company. We had everyone. We worked for everyone important in the town. I was, they were my clients. Uh, well, our clients, but my clients. And we were starting to do TV commercials. I was flying to New York City and working with directors and literally going out to L.A. And just all of a sudden, I'm in advertising. And um, one day, so that's sort of where I want to stop my story. And that was about maybe 15 years ago. Um, And I was having uh, a self-quake. I don't know if you are familiar with that term, but um, <clears throat> apart from work, I had a self-quake that started with my marriage, which was through my marriage, um, I was confronted with the fact that I was a selfish animal, basically. And then all of a sudden, I was at work where everything was great, and one day, and I, I think this is just a Holy Spirit intervention for me, um, the question came into my mind, what if you got everything you want right now? 
it's sort of like WWJD. It's like, what if Jesus just walked into your life physically right now and said, hey, what's going on? What are you doing with yourself? And my answer to that question was, was not a good answer, if I was being honest. It was a terrible answer because all of us where I worked were building the me show. Um, we didn't really love our clients. We, we loved our success. And we were trying to win awards, and we were trying to build our own um, books because all the creatives were always looking at the next place they could go jump to and you know further their career, especially if you're in Savannah because, well, it's Savannah. Um, so I, I put this verse, um, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Now, I want to just say, I just want to admit that Everything I have to say this morning, there are no, as much as I love the deep truths of Scripture, okay, and I will spend hours with any of you if you want to talk about the mysteries, but what I want to say this morning is that just the first things of Christianity, just the basic gospel, can and will change your life if you take what it's saying seriously and let it deal with you. And so this is not rocket science, right? Like, of course, we've been sitting in... I was, a, I was a deacon at my church at this time, by the way. I was very familiar with the gospel and its data points, and I believed it. But for me, experience had to come alongside the words to combine, to, to teach me the hard truths, right? And for me, this was a hard truth. And it, it, it wrecked me. It literally cut me to my core. And I had a self-quake. Um, and so real briefly, uh, what happened was um, we started going after a couple. At the same time, at the same moment, I'm like, what am I doing? Like, I'm living for myself. We started going after clients that were outside of the realm of okay for me to work on, such as um, we had a vodka account, and they were trying to combine vodka and Red Bull and then sell it to 18-year-olds, that kind of thing. Or um, pillows that people use to enhance their sexual life, which is fine, but they want us to advertise it and, like, do all these, like, visual horrible things, which I couldn't do. So that was going on, and meanwhile, um, the the Christian parachurch ministry called Ligonier Ministries... Um, so this is R.C. Sproul. Maybe some of you are familiar with him. He just passed away. Um, they, were, they came after me because I had been doing pro bono work for my church, and they saw it, and they're like, you should come work for us, and you should come design our catalogs and come work for Parachurch Ministry, which, um, which I did. I did because we'll get into some of the reasons why, but basically it was throwing my career away, and I knew that. Um, you don't go design catalogs for a parachurch niche reform Christian ministry and ever go back to working in consumer advertising at agency level again. You're done. So I went in and told my boss, I'm like, I got to go. He said, you're crazy. You're, what are you doing? I said, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not, I'm letting the chips fall where they may, which is something I'm going to try to bring out if I can do that in the time I have. Okay. Um, 
So I'm too throwing my career away. Great. So now I'd like to talk about how that's come about for me and how these things are still a vital part of my work life and um, my life in general. And the way I want to frame it up is to talk about how the gospel gives, gave me and gives us a new mission, a new way of measuring our, our worth, and a new motivation um, in life and in the workplace. So, first of all, uh, a new mission. Let me read this passage from Colossians, so succinct and so powerful. Um, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is, seated seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So, at that, at that time, I think this is a question we all ask ourselves, right? Who am I? Why do I matter in the world? What is my purpose? Why am I here? Right? These are the questions, right? These are the, <laughs> these are the ultimate questions. These are the ontological questions. These are the teleological questions. These are like the big questions. Well, um, for me, they, they really hit me at that time, as I was saying, and um, I was confronted with my answers. And, you know, I have this, this joke with my, with my children. It's Clay. Did I see Clay here? So, Clay, what's all that matters? And what else? Yeah, what about personal glory? Right. So whenever we would go to the sporting event, you know, I turn to my children and be like, what's all that matters today? And then they say, winning. And I say, and then what else? And they say, getting personal glory. And then I say, what else? And they say, making the other guy pay, you know? And I'm like, of course, it's a joke, but it's not a joke, right? I mean, that is the default mission is to win. And I'm not trying to be political here at all. I'm just trying to be myself, which is to say I observe that our mission is to win, right? And the, my old mission was to, let me put a positive spin on it, to become the best me I could be and to be well thought of by others. And, you know, yeah, to win awards and to be great and to make the most out of my life. And um, it had a very horizontal feel to it, right? It's me starting with me and then looking horizontal. Man, I don't know about your professions, but in my profession, all we do is look down on other people. We look down on our clients. We look down on other creatives. We're like, oh, you think that's good? Like, it's all subjective, right? So we're like, that's terrible. You're terrible. I'm great. Um, The new mission, however, is, if there's any Presbyterians in the room, uh, to glorify God and to enjoy God. That's my new mission. To love Him, 
to please him, to thank him, and ultimately to be with him. And um, so what are the implications of this uh, for, for my work, right? If I, if I realize um, my original mission is sort of faulty, you know, and the mission the gospel gives me is um, to live for, for, for God and not for myself. Um, well, what are the implications at work? They're huge. There are many. We could never cover them here. But uh, I will mention that the first one for me was that Jeff had to be demoted. The Jeff show had to sort of pull up the tent. And, and I had to sort of rethink... Um, um, uh, for me, it became sort of a daily thing where I woke up in the morning. I'm like, how am I going to address the fact that what I, what I, now I'm awake to having living for this thing over here, which is not what God wants for me to live in this way. Um, uh, so another implication for me at work was that um, people who prior to I would see as, as uh, tools or obstacles to get what I want. Um, now I see that if I'm going to love God, then I have to love other people. And if I'm going to love other people, I have to change how I interact with them. It sounds so basic, but I'm just reporting facts. Um, I also began to care about and love my unseen audience. So, so when you're in the business that I'm in, there's the masses. That the work that you do goes out to the masses who you don't touch like we're doing now. And so um, when, when this new mission came into my life, I started thinking about those people. And I started thinking, what's good for those people? Because God's, God's told me, um, you want to know one way you can glorify me? Uh, care about other people, love other people, think of them as their needs more important than your own. Um, let me pause there and just say, uh, are there, as I say, as I say, confess really to you that this new, this mission and, and crystallizing in my mind says, here's a few implications for me and my work. Do you think, do you have in your mind implications at, at your work? And would you like to share one or two? Um. If not, that's fine. Go ahead. Were you raising your hand? I was. I yeah. couldn't see. Um, so, boy, you went to Gordon College. Grew up in a Christian home, right? <clears throat> How did the seduction, it, it just kind of happened? Yeah, um, so I think that um, it is very difficult to bring your, your if you coast at work, um, the culture of work, in my experience, the culture of work is different than even ordinary, even school culture, because it's, it's really 
uh, based on performance and merit. And it is, in many ways, um, I, I think Christians walk into work. I know I was doing this, and I, I wasn't being purposeful in my thinking. Um, so I had to have a self So God had to come in and just shatter me. But hopefully that's just part of what we're doing now is just talking about these things so that we're a little more thoughtful as we go into the workplace and say, wait a minute, I'm still the same guy that I was on Sunday morning affirming um, you know, what, my, what, my, what my calling is because my calling is to, be, to use my gifts, my creative gifts for God's glory. It is. But my big, my, my big calling is to honor God and to love Him. And let's move on because I think we're going to flesh out um, if no one... Uh, go ahead. I just want to say this. Uh, there are two things that have really taught me the reality of the sinfulness of, of mankind. One is my fault. idea how corrupting the workplace, the secular workplace would be where there was special grace at work. And I just assumed other people had good motives. You know, as I worked in the school system growing up, and it took me years to realize, oh my goodness, uh, they are really sinners, like the Bible tells us that they are. Mm-hmm. And I'm bad enough. But, boy, you know, don't assume anything good. Yeah, you know, since you brought that up, and this is just off the script, but um, I think loving anyone means absorbing blows and taking it on the chin and being, being open to being taken advantage of. Anyone. Love your, try loving your children through teenage years. Try, it's, it is baked into loving anybody is being willing to absorb blows and being taken advantage of. Now, how does that play in the workplace, right? It's one thing at your home with your own children, like, you know, but in the workplace where it's, it is not the type of culture where if you're going to live like that, it's an easy place to navigate, right? Um, or at least I've, that's how, what I've found to be true. Okay, so r- real quick, I want to uh, move through. Um, how, do, how do we define a successful person? How do we define what a successful person is? Now, why, are we bringing, why am I bringing this up in the context of work? Well, of course I'm bringing it up because you know what phrase I hate? Have you ever heard someone say, oh, have you met um, so-and-so? Well, first thing you need to know is they are successful. And then they go on to tell you. And, and what does that mean? That means in their field... They're at close. They've made a lot of money somehow, and it 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 assumes a definition of success. Okay, that Christians can't affirm if they're being theologically uh, consistent. Because why? Because how do how does God define a successful person? How do Christians define a successful person? I, I think of um, um, the fact that we're so outcome-based, and as human beings, we watch what people are able to produce, and if the product is good, they are successful. 
But then I watch John the Baptist produce an excellent product and call something like it is because that was his job that God called him to. He got his head cut off. That's not successful by our ordinary terms. That was very unsuccessful. Now you're dead. I look at Hebrews 11 and I say, here we have the hall of fame of people that God says are successful. And the first half of those, those group were nodding along. It's like, and they, this guy went and God came along and he beat the enemies and he led them and he was triumphant. And it's like, win, win, win. And I'm like, yeah. But then the second half is, and these people were faithful and they got sawn in half and they got their heads chopped off. Equally successful people because... The, the definition of success by God's, God does not measure as we measure. Now, if we can't take God's measurement into the workplace with us, if we're going to adopt the measure, measurement of ordinary human culture, uh, you're going to end up hopefully like me and have a self-quake, or you're just going to stay on the hamster wheel of... Um, that goes to nowhere and adopt the world's value system and what's at the end. You know, last week's talk was so good. I don't know how many of you were here, but just to think about the meaninglessness of playing out the, the, the standard human value system. Where does it end? There's no future hope in it. Um, even if you are successful by the term, those terms, you've got 30 years to enjoy it at best. Um, okay, so um, new, new metric, new measurement. Um, uh, man, I've got to move on here. So why do we do what we do? I think it's, I think the Christian... Worldview has to answer this question, right? Because how many of you um, saw the Mr. Rogers uh, movie? Did any of you guys see it? Okay. Well, I'm going to tell you about it anyway. I'm just hoping more of you would seen it. So Mr. Rogers, you know, wonderful guy, told all the children that they were special, told all the children that, that just who they are was valuable, right? It's a good message. And so as the, as the documentary goes on, um, you know, he's just loving the children, he's being kind, and he's heaping affirmation on them. And then towards the tail end of his life, the critics come out, and they're like, um, you know, Mr. Rogers is like ruined the world because, um, yeah, you got to watch the documentary, it's a true story. Um, so Mr. Rogers ruined the world because he told children that they were valuable and affirmed just as they are. But then what's going to motivate them to go out and be great and do great things and to like produce and build themselves into something useful for the meritocracy, right? So, um, so these things are in conflict. And I'm actually not telling you that, like, I understand that tension, right? And I would like to, to, to say that tension is actually one of the greatest tensions in Christianity. Forget about the workplace, Right? You are saved by grace, 100% grace. You do nothing to merit it. All you do is say, yes, I need it, give it to me. If you live 
a stellar life from the moment you become a Christian to the moment you die. Jesus comes along and says, you were a faithful servant. You didn't do anything to earn a cookie. That's it. And then, of course, you don't. So, like, every day you need grace and salvation. So the critics of the gospel come along, understandably from a certain perspective, like, oh, so you're saved by grace, so you don't earn any of it. And then they say, so why be a good person at all? Like, why even try? Why strive to use Paul's language? Why effort and, and point yourself at perfection of pleasing God and killing your old self if it's all by grace and you've got everything you need right now just by receiving it, right? Well, to me, that's a very relevant question to our work um, because after um, I had my self-quake and after I threw my career away, I was, um, the spirit of that for me was, I'm going to just trust that this is what God has for me. It's, it's a longer story than that, but about 10 things kind of came together for me at the same time that were like, an affirmation that this is what God kind of had for me. So I said, well, whatever's down the road, I don't know what it is. I'm just going to jump off the cliff and do it and let the chips fall where they may. Well, so let's say I did that. So now I'm trying to be faithful to God. What's my now my motivation to be great? My old motivation was because obvious, right? Like I'm out in the workplace fighting off all my my competitors and I'm trying to win awards and I'm trying to build the Jeff show and I want all of you to think I'm awesome. And here's my portfolio, you know, here's my work and it's what makes me somebody. Well, that's gone now. That is not what makes me somebody. It's a good thing, but it's not who makes me valuable. I'm valuable because God saw fit to literally come into this world and pay for my sins and pull me back into his family and put the label of child of God on me and give me an inheritance. Now we understand, why does Paul come along and go, all this stuff that you think makes me valuable, I count it as garbage. Why? Because compared to what... God has provided us in Christ, it, it is garbage in that perspective, right? So now, why do I try hard at work? Like, I, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a legitimate question that has to be, has to be sort of addressed. Um, and, of course, um, the gospel answer is, uh, tr- doing a good job at work, as I was trying to say earlier, the definition of doing a good job at work changes into, first of all, loving the people that you're with, loving the people that you're ultimately serving. So whatever career you're in, you're serving someone out there, right? Loving them well, doing a good job, as James said last week, Unto the Lord. So every single thing you do in your workday, if you are, if you have the perspective of God is calling me to to do this task, as if I'm doing it directly for Him in response um, uh, to what He's done for me, and and this is 
This is sort of my point. I'm just going to summarize it in one word. Why do I work hard? Gratitude. It's as simple as that. I go to work. There are many, many days, to be honest with you, I don't particularly love my job. I'd much rather be working in an agency, working for Nike, or doing more exciting work than like I used to do. But you know what? I go to work, and my motivation is gratitude because um, God has given me a new life and has, has given my, my whole life a meaning that it didn't used to have that has eternal value. And so it is gratitude that then expresses itself um, in love. Let me read this verse uh, for us. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he, is, he who is forgiven little, loves little. I think it's a very convicting question if we ask ourselves, in our workplace, do we show that God has loved us much by the way we handle ourselves and by the way we reject certain assumed methods of doing things, cutthroat methods maybe, um, uh, and you know, to me, that was part of what was convicting me to change, change my life. Um, so let me pause at this point. Any uh, questions or thoughts or anything to add? I'm just wondering about the work world that you are in is so different um, from a helping work like teaching or maybe health care or something like that. Um, could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Are the same struggles there as well? Yeah, I mean, it is... Honestly, that's a good question. I, um, I did wake up one day because I was following my dreams. I mean, I was following my passions. You know how we tell our kids sometimes, like, just do what you love, and, it, you know, God, it'll work out. And I did wake up and say... Um, you know, how is what I do, how does what I do help people? Now, you know, I went to work for Ligonier. I went to work for a Christian ministry. There were a lot of people at the ministry that were there because their answer to that question was, well, I'll go do what I do for Christians. And, and I, I did tons of, I poured myself into book covers and magazines and articles and revamping the way this ministry presented itself and trying to go to all of you and saying, look, you should care about this. Let me curate the chaos of junk that's out there and simplify it and bring it to you in a way that will help you see its value and maybe step into it, right? But uh, um, that's a very narrow... I I didn't leave Ligonier thinking, oh, now I'm stepping out of serving God with my life at all. Um, um, I, I think, you know, if you're a maid at a hotel... Can you please God with your life? I mean, of course, right? I mean, if you're um, curing diseases and trying to commercialize them, you know, some of us are jealous. Like we look at we look at that and we're jealous because we're like, oh, well, 
you're like helping people and we're making typography look better and we're choosing, you know, pleasing compositions. Um, that's not a great answer. I don't know. I, I think that um, at the end of the day, the way God measures us is not by the results, the human results. I really honestly believe that. I believe that it's a, it's a measurement of the heart. And so if God has called an administrator under Joseph's reign to make sure there's grain in the barns, and he's like the fifth guy down under some other guy, and it's only his job to like count everything up properly. I, I think he has just as shot as the most successful life as any of us, whether we're making millions of dollars, whether we're curing cancer, or whether we're at the stop traffic light making sure cars don't run into each other. Because God is in control of the outcomes, totally. Can we, can we accept that? That's another truth that comes at us. We're like, yep, I believe that. I, that's true. God is, God determines. But then, that's a hard thing to let come home into here. Um, I don't know if any of you have seen Goodwill Hunting. Let's see if I get any more hands on Goodwill Hunting. Okay, I love the scene in Goodwill Hunting. I'm a, I cry at movies. I'm a sucker for it. But I love when it when it when Robin Williams grabs a kid, you know. And he's like, it's not your fault. And he's like, I know, I know it's not my fault. No, no, you don't. It's not your fault, right? And he hugs him in, and he just keeps repeating, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. Well, that's not my message, of course. But, my, but the idea that, no, you don't understand. It's like, here's this basic, amazing, profound truth. I'm nodding along on Sunday morning, but then I walk into work. I'm like, Pfft. And I need someone to say, the outcomes are not in your hands. The outcomes are not in your hands. Oh, yeah, yeah, I get that. I know. No, no, you don't. The outcomes are, like, take your child rearing. That's it. Enough said, period. I'm not even going to fill in the blanks for you. Take your child rearing. Are you a bad parent because one of your kids is off not trusting Jesus? Answer, yes, you're a terrible parent. Secondly, not the outcomes are in God's hands. You be faithful today. Yes, Susan? Saying the Oh. 
Awesome story, and I feel like that has sort of let the chips fall where they may, kind of built into it. And um, by the way, I do want to say because we have to close, but um, I just want to clearly say that in no way am I saying this is easy. Like I've wrestled with this. I understand the implications of some of what I'm saying. It's super risky, um, um, and. I, I wish we had actually time to talk about the struggle as real as I've put it because um, in that box is, um, I think, a lot of other questions and conversation will be helpful. But for now, I do need to, I think, shut us down so that everyone can get up to worship. So <coughs> Greg's still here. Greg, you want to come up and pray? Thanks, Jeff. Uh, let's pray. Lord, thank you for um, thank you for these words this morning. Thank you for the gospel and for... Uh, the truth about you, we pray that we would take these truths to heart, uh, Lord, that you are our maker, Lord, that we have not made ourselves, um, that we uh, that you have saved us by your grace alone, Lord, that we um, can't add anything to that, Lord, that all of our performance and our achievements and, and efforts uh, do not... Um, do not earn us any more of your love or, or grace than has already been given to us in Christ. But, Lord, we pray that we would live out of that, um, the grace that you've given us, that we would love you much and love others much because we've been forgiven much. Uh, Lord, be with Jeff uh, in his work in particular um, and uh, continue to, to give him wisdom and, and help him in, in the struggles that he faces. Um, and, and be with each of us, Lord. Help us. We pray that... that the gospel would sink deeper into each of our hearts and that we would uh, 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 live and work out of, uh, out of these truths about who you are. Uh, thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.